Our text for this morning is the gospel lesson that was read just a few moments ago. It's on the back of your bulletin. So let me encourage you to keep that out and be looking at it as we work our way through it. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, the disciples never forgot that evening on the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. And years later, as they thought about it and wrote about it, they could remember every detail. They could remember the green grass and the 12 baskets and the 5,000 men and the questions that Jesus asked and their sarcastic answer and the five loaves and the two fishes. They could remember all of that as if it happened just that very time when they were writing. And evidence of all of this is found in the fact that this miracle, this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, is found in all four Gospels. All four Gospels. You know, in all, there are 37 miracles of Jesus recorded in the Gospels. 18 of those are included in at least one Gospel. Six of them are included in two Gospels. Twelve of them are included in three Gospels. But there is only one miracle that is included in all four Gospels. And that's the miracle of our text, the feeding of the 5,000. And so the question is asked, you know, why? Why is this miracle, was this miracle so impressed upon the disciples that they included it in all four of the Gospels? My goodness, you would think that the raising of Lazarus, this man who had been dead and in the grave for four days, that that would have been big enough that each one of them would have included it in the gospel, in their gospels. Uh, But that's not the case. Only the apostle John included that tremendous miracle in his gospel. And so why is this one so important? Perhaps because it includes so very much. It's so packed with revelation. There's so much meaning in it, so many lessons in it, so many insights in it. You know, one of the scholars at Yale Divinity School, a man by the name of Paul Miner, has written, This story staggers us with the wealth of meaning. We do great injustice to such a story if we reduce its purpose to a single point or a single doctrine. Well, this morning we're going to concentrate on one word that's in this story, in this text. One word. And that's the word compassion. And that word is in verse 34, where it simply says, He had compassion on them. In the first half of the text, you see that compassion in his teaching the crowd. And in the second half of our text, you see that compassion in his feeding the crowd. And as we look at this, we hear our Lord saying to us, don't we? I want you to carry on my ministry of teaching and feeding. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I pray God's blessing upon my speaking and your hearing. Two weeks ago, we saw Jesus send the disciples out two by two on their first missionary journey. Now, our text begins today. If you read that on the back of your bulletin, it says the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Now, that's significant in this, that this is the first time the disciples are called apostles. Remember, the word apostle means sent ones. Now they have been sent out on their first missionary journey. They are now not just disciples, but they are sent ones. They are apostles. So you note that as this text begins. But they come back now. 
And they are enthused. They are enthused and they're excited because they've seen God doing great things through their preaching and teaching and they've seen the power of God and the fact that they have been able to heal people in his name and even cast out demons. And so they've had a great experience preaching and teaching and healing and casting out demons. But Jesus, as they hear, as Jesus hears all this, not only notes their enthusiasm and their excitement, but he knows he's got some men here pretty tired. They've worked hard. They've been on the go. And they are physically tired. They are emotionally and they are emotionally drained. And so Jesus, seeing all of this, sees that they need some rest. But the crowds are now coming once again. And there are all kinds of people suddenly showing up. And they are asking questions of Jesus. And they are asking for prayers from Jesus. And they are asking for healing from Jesus. This is what our text says. It says for For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to eat. I mean, the crowd is asking so much, and they are doing so much, they don't even have time to stop and eat. And so Jesus, seeing all this and sensing all of this, says to them, to the disciples, he says, come on, let's get away from here. Let's go to a desolate place and rest a while. And so they climb into a boat, and they head for an isolated place across the lake. And the folks see them leave, and they see what direction they're going. And they know about this place, probably, that they're going. And so they then take off around the top of the lake. Now, around the top of the lake to get over to this area, Sea of Galilee, it's about 10 miles, 10 miles around the top of the lake. The disciples now are going to go by boat. They're in a boat, and they're going over to this same place. This takes, this is only about five miles this way. But the disciples must have rolled leisurely, or they ran into a stiff wind or something like this. Because by the time they get there, cross the lake by water, the crowd is around the lake. They've gone 10 miles already, walking and running to get where Jesus is going to be. And this is where this word compassion comes in. Verse 34. When he went ashore, Jesus, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They've walked 10 miles like sheep without a shepherd. And then notice the next line. And he began to teach them many things. What a statement that is, isn't it? And what a picture of Jesus this is in his compassion. My goodness. Now, he sees all of this And he feels compassion. Put yourself in that position, huh? You're trying to get away from the crowd. You've been working like the Dickens. You are tired. You are all of that. Jesus could have come ashore and saw those people. He could have been irritated. He could have been angry. He could have said, can't they leave us alone even for a while? Can't we have even a little time by ourselves where we can rest and so on and so forth? Why are they always clamoring after us? Why are they always wanting what we have to give to them? Why are they always asking questions? He could have been angry. He could have been upset. He could have been irritable. But he wasn't. The text says he was compassionate. That seeing this crowd, he sets aside his own tiredness and his needs. And somehow his compassion overcomes his weariness. He looks at that crowd 
through the eyes of one who has come to seek and to save. He looks at that crowd as one who has come to give abundant life to people. Now he knows people. And he knows that in that crowd there's selfishness and there's stubbornness and there's foolishness and all of that kind of thing. He knows that that crowd is full of sin. And yet as he looks at that crowd, he also sees the burdens that people are carrying. And he sees the hurts that folks are enduring. And he sees the pains that people are feeling. And he sees the hopes that people are hanging on to. And he even sees the stains of tears on the cheeks of those people who so many never see. He sees all of this and it just tears him up. He feels not anger or irritability, he feels compassion. And he sees sheep without a shepherd. And so you read that and you ask the question, well, what do sheep without a shepherd, what are they like? Well, sheep without a shepherd, without a shepherd to guide them, wander and stray, and they soon get lost. And sheep without a shepherd have no one to protect them, and so they are vulnerable to all kinds of enemies. And sheep without a shepherd, a shepherd to lead them to food and water, soon become thirsty and hungry. And Jesus looked at those crowds, and he knew that without God, he knew that without God and the guidance of his word and truth, the folks in those crowds would be vulnerable to all kinds of misbelief and unbelief and falsehood that would lead them into messes in their lives and eventually into hell itself. And he knew that those people without God's word and truth would be vulnerable to the devil and the world and their own sinful flesh and that would lead them away into all kinds of messes and, and all kinds of trouble in their lives. And he knew, too, that without God's word and truth, they would be hungry and thirsty, and they wouldn't even know why they were hungry and thirsty, but they would be grabbing at everything the world could give, trying to take care of that hunger and thirst, and they would be messing up their lives and heading for hell. And so what did he do? Look at our text. He says he saw them as, feet, as sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them. He began to teach them God's Word because he knew that that's what they needed. What do you suppose he taught them? Well, I'm sure he did not beat them over the head with the law. I'm sure he did not uh, give them a whole list of do's and don'ts. People don't walk ten miles unless they are desperate and they feel the law already. And so I'm sure what he gave them was the gospel. What he taught them was about the Heavenly Father. He taught them about God's grace and God's love. He told them that they have a Father who loves them so much that he's going to take care of their sin problem. He taught them about forgiveness. 
and grace. He called them to repentance, sure. But he also told them that in coming to God in repentance, they were not coming to a judge that's going to condemn them. They're coming to a father who is going to forgive them. And so he preached to them the gospel, invited them to the Father, invited them to himself as the good shepherd, promised them the forgiveness of sins, talked to them about the hopes and promises for the future, all of those things. He taught them. You know, in our world today, there are so many who are like sheep without a shepherd. A while back I saw on television a program about Michael Jackson. Remember Michael Jackson, the singer a few years ago? Talked about Michael Jackson and his Neverland, his Neverland. And talked about all of his life, how he was searching for what he missed in childhood. And as I saw that program, I thought of sheep without a shepherd. In that same program, it showed, uh, you know, his concerts, and there's tens of thousands of people at those concerts. And they are shouting, and they are yelling, and they are raising their hands in adoration, adulation for him, toward him. I thought about sheep without a shepherd. Then recently, I was reading in a leadership magazine an article which quotes Pastor Jim Sabala. Jim Sabal is a pastor in inner city New York City in Brooklyn who started a great church and started a church there several years ago with just a few Sunday school kids. And that church is one of the great churches in America reaching into the inner city of Brooklyn and New York City. And in this article, Jim Sabala is quoted. And this is what he says. The number one sin of the church in America is that its pastors and leaders are not on their knees crying out to God, bring us the drug addicted, bring us the prostitutes, bring us the destitute, bring us the gang leaders, bring us those with AIDS, bring us the people nobody else wants, whom only you can heal and let us love them in your name until they are whole. And as I read that quote, I thought about sheep without a shepherd. But on the other end of the spectrum, this. I was reading a biography of Warren Buffett, and you know that he's one of the richest men in the world. And in that biography, there's a chapter about a meeting that is held in Sun Valley, Idaho, every year. And in that meeting are the great of America. In that meeting, there are the richest in America, the titans of industry and finance, the CEOs of some of the top corporations in the country. And in that chapter, though, it tells about that meeting and talks about the one-upmanship that's in that meeting and the rivalry that's in that meeting and the competition and the resentments and these giants of industry and so on not speaking to each other because they are competitors. And as I read that chapter about the richest and, and the biggest in America, I thought about sheep without 
a shepherd. But you know, you don't have to go to New York City or, or, or Sun Valley to, to find about sheep without a shepherd. Because that's here in Atchison, Kansas. There's thousands of people right in Atchison and around them now, our community, who are sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. They do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They are wandering without direction. They are being misled by the devil and the world and their sinful flesh. And they may not realize it, but they are hungry and thirsty. And they are grabbing for all kinds of things to take care of that hunger and thirst. And they are messing up their lives now and they are heading for hell. But you don't even have to look outside into our community. You can look right here in our own church. Because right here at Trinity, there are folks who, for all practical purposes, are sheep without a shepherd. While they know the shepherd's name, they pay no attention to the shepherd. They go their own way. And they bear the consequences of their rejections and denials. And they're messing up their lives and hurting themselves and their families. And our Lord comes to you and to me, and he calls us to, guess what? Compassion, to compassion. Not to judge, not to condemn, not to put down with condescending sneers, not to look down upon, but to reach out in his name and accept and witness to and do everything we can to show them the good shepherd. And he wants us to realize that it is his word, it is his word, that's the answer to sheep without a shepherd. He wants us to realize that. And so that's why he calls us as a congregation to a ministry of teaching. That's why we have a day school. Because we want our children, the children that we can reach in the community, to be raised to know the shepherd. So that they won't be with shepherd, sheep without a shepherd. And this is why we have adult inquiries class. And that's why we are so eager in inviting people and encouraging people and doing everything we can to get people to the adult inquiries class. And that's why I'm appealing to you every week to be looking out for that. Because we're trying to reach sheep without a shepherd. And that's why we have team classes. That's why we have Kennedy calling. That's why all of this. Because our Lord calls us to continue his teaching. Because that's the answer his word and truth to sheep without a shepherd. But that day on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus not only taught the people, he also note fed the people. It was late. And the people were hungry. And he knew it, and the disciples knew it, and he mentioned. And the disciples had a solution. And their solution was send them away. Let them take care of their own hunger. Send them away. Let them take care of themselves. And Jesus then said, you guys, let's, let's give them something to eat. And they're very sarcastic. They said, Lord, good gracious, what are you talking about? It would take a year's salary to feed all of these people, and we don't have a year's salary to buy stuff, that kind of stuff. Well, Jesus said, let's check our resources. Let's see what's around here that we could feed them. And they check around and they come back and they say, well, there's a little kid here who's got uh, five loaves, little loaves of fish, little buns, and, and he's got two fish. Well, Jesus says, bring those to me. And the disciples do, of course, bring those to him. And then Jesus says, had everyone sit down 
because he knows what can happen unless there's some order here. And so he has everyone sit down. He said, now have the folks sit down in groups of 50 and 100. It's going to be very orderly. He doesn't want any chaos, shoving nerves, that kind of stuff. And so then he takes that bread. He looks up and he says, come Lord Jesus. Well, in those days it was, Lord, blessed be thou, O Lord, who givest food to the hungry. But he says grace. He says grace. The Lord Jesus himself says grace. And we should note that because sometimes when I talk to our school kids and or to our Wednesday school kids, I find that we have homes that are not saying grace before meals. But always, shoo, we should be saying grace every, whenever we sit down to eat, huh? Before every bit of food, be it in a restaurant or wherever it is that we do that. But Jesus says grace, and then he says, guys, uh, let's, let's start giving it out. And they come, and they get some, and they go, and they distribute it. And they come back, and they get some more, and they go and distribute that. And they come back, and they get some more. And that goes on and on and on and on until... Everyone is fed and everyone is satisfied. And then it says there are about 5,000 men there. And I like what Evie Hill said. Evie Hill is deceased now, but he was one, he was one of the great black preachers in America. It was a, in Los Angeles. It was where his church was. But I heard him preach once on this text. And he said, uh, 5,000 men, that means there were 15 to 20,000 people there that day. Because there's always more women and children in church than there are men. And I kind of always remember that. He says, there's got to be fifteen or 20,000 people there. Well, he feeds the 5,000. But listen to this. There were hungry people there. And Jesus said, let's feed them. And the disciples said, no, let's send them away. Let's let them take care of themselves. You know, there's still people saying that today. Send them away when it comes hunger in our packet of envelopes there's an envelope that says Lutheran world relief that's for feeding the hungry in the world we give out 500 packets a year 500 families 500 envelope packets I counted them up yesterday 32 of those envelopes have been used we're past half of the year, 32 of those Lutheran World Relief envelopes have been used this year. Do you know what that says? It says a lot of our folks are saying, send them away. Let them get their own food. Over 400 and some people. I hope and pray that by the end of the year, everyone will have used that envelope. Because, you know, the Lord does not ask you and me to feed all the children in Ethiopia. And he does not ask you and me to feed all of the starving refugees in Sudan. What he does ask us to do is put two fish and five loaves in that envelope. And again... In our envelopes, there's a packet for Bethesda Home. That's for taking care of mentally retarded, mentally handicapped children, people. And the Lord does not ask me to take care of all the mentally retarded and mentally handicapped children in America. But he does ask me to put two fish and five loaves in that envelope. 
before the end of the year. The people on that northeast corner of Galilee that, uh, that evening never forgot what they experienced. For they experienced the compassion of the Lord, teaching and feeding. And you and I have also experienced that compassion, his word, his love. But even more than those people, we have experienced the ultimate in his compassion. Because we've stood on Calvary, and we've looked up, and we have seen that terribly ugly scene. We have seen him bleeding and dying for us. We've seen the ultimate of compassion. There is no bigger compassion in all of the world and in all of history than that scene on Calvary, Good Friday. We've seen that. And that then becomes the source of our own compassion, that he sends us away from Calvary or we walk away from Calvary with hearts full of compassion, that once you see Jesus Christ dying for you on the cross, taking your sins upon himself, there's only one response to that, and that's faith and love and compassion. And so he sends us out, you see, and it is our compassion that first of all touches our hearts and then touches our hands. Sheep without a shepherd. He calls us to the ministry of teaching and feeding. He calls us to give our two fish and five loaves so that he can do great things with them. Amen. Amen.